Before I begin this evening, I would, I would just like to take this opportunity to express some very heartfelt gratitude and thanksgiving, first of all to God, and, but especially to so many of you that have supported myself and us in prayer and encouragement over this past year. Some two weeks after last year's camp, I found out I had a serious illness that seemed to get worse instead of better, but thanks be to God and through the many prayers that so many of you have offered, I believe that God has been gracious. Several weeks ago, one of my customers just, it's the first time I saw him after the surgery, and he just said to me, I guess you'll just have to wait to get to heaven. Throughout my Christian life, I have never been in a hurry to get to heaven. In fact, I've been very content to be here on earth, figuring that I have all of eternity to enjoy heaven and very much wanted to live. Although there were some moments when heaven began to look very attractive, I thank God that I'm still here. And as another brother said to me this week, that perhaps I have a second chance. And the reality is that for every one of us, every day is a second chance, is another opportunity to live for God and to do what he wants us to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how thankful we are to be here tonight. Thankful that we have been able to experience your presence in a very powerful way throughout this entire week. Now, as we have passed the midpoint of our camp experience, we pray, Heavenly Father, that your spirit would continue to be poured out in a rich measure upon each and every one of us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for life and for breath and for the opportunities that you give us to live for you. And I pray, O oh Lord, of the years that are left to me, that I would give them to thy hand. Take me and break me, mold me to the pattern that thou hast planned. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that that desire and that prayer would be on the heart and mind of each one that is here this evening. In Christ's name, amen. Turn with me, if you would like, into the Word of God, into the book of all books. I'd like to read just a few short verses found in Second Timothy, the third chapter, beginning with verse 14. The Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual son Timothy, and he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 
On Monday, following the morning forums, my father-in-law gently reprimanded me about referring to the 80% of the 200 teens that are present here at camp as being unconverted. Not that that was a false designation for them, but he shared with me that from the church where he came from, they preferred to use the term not yet converted. And this year we are privileged here at camp to have among us some 200 teens of which 80% are not yet converted. I thought about that for a little bit and, and I couldn't help but think that yeah, that's really true. While they are unconverted, we should really consider all of you that are here that fall into that category as being not yet converted. Because I believe from the bottom of my heart that every one of you are here because you fully intend to one day be converted or else you wouldn't be here. I don't think that any of you are so callous to be here this week at camp and to listen to the sermons and the inspiration hours and the classes and to, to really believe in your hearts that this is all a bunch of nonsense and, and I will never believe it, I'll never follow it. Oh, some of you may talk like that to your friends and, and say things that, that really don't express what's deep down in your heart, but I know that you're here because one day you want to be a Christian. And so, you truly are not yet converted. And perhaps some of you are almost persuaded. And that hymn that we often sing was, was inspired by a message that was given probably more than a century ago, where a preacher said, to be almost persuaded is to be almost saved. And to be almost saved is to be utterly lost. The text that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart speaks of one Timothy, whom we know was much like so many of us. In fact, I believe like most of us. He was, in fact, the first second-generation Christian that is mentioned in the Bible. We know earlier in this same, in the first chapter of Second Timothy, the Bible says that Paul says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Timothy grew up in a Christian home. And I can identify with that. And I believe that probably by far the majority of us that are here this evening can identify that with that same experience in that we grew up in a Christian home. And for some, that is generations of Christians, of believers, stretching back many years. 
And I, have, I can identify with that, and, and I made a similar experience of growing up in a Christian home. But I realized, like all of us that are, that are converted, realized that that was no ticket to heaven. Was it an advantage? Absolutely. Did I always think it was an advantage? No way. There were many times that I remember that I, I questioned, why did I have to be born into this family that goes to this church? And yet God allowed me to appreciate that that's the way it was. And for all of you that are here tonight that are not yet saved, I want you to know that you too have a very distinct advantage. And just like the Bible tells us, and and we can read, what advantage does the Jew have? Much, and in many things, and so it is also for us that have been born into a Christian family, that have been born into this fellowship, you have a, a tremendous advantage. Don't throw it away. Several years ago, the Barna Research Institute, which conducts many different surveys regarding mostly the evangelical Christian churches, conducted a survey of those that converted to find out when, at what age, the majority converted. And it was interesting to note that as I looked at those statistics, and this afternoon I stopped by the office and had Elsa print off some of the um, data from this year's camp, and, and just looking at that quickly and making a few calculations, the, we fit that category very closely. Namely this, that two-thirds of those that ultimately become Christians do so by the age of 18. Between 19 and 21, only one-eighth of those that eventually become Christians actually convert and give their lives to the Lord and are born again. And approximately one-quarter of the people that become Christians do so from age 22 on, at varying different ages. And those demographics probably hold very true here this evening as well probably very close to the same figures. And what does that tell us? What does that tell you that are not yet converted? What it tells you is that there is a window of opportunity that is better than any other. And that is today, right now. And that's what the Bible says. Today, when you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today is the day of salvation. If you decide to put it off until you get to college, you have only one in an eight, one chance in eight that you will ever become a Christian. And that's not hard to figure out. But if you wait even longer, Yet your chances do improve. 
But I challenge you, young people, talk to those even that are here this week at camp that gave their lives to the Lord beyond the age of 22, and many of them were probably into their late 20s and 30s and some even beyond that. And I know, thank God, we have those here tonight that, that have waited a long time and, and you're still not converted. You have a one in four chance, statistically, of making it. But a much better chance if you will hear God's voice and respond the way he wants you to. But I do challenge you to talk to those that waited longer, and you'll find out that they wish they would have done it a lot sooner. That they would have done it while they were in their early teens. Or before the world and all it had to offer and throw at them that looked so attractive and so good left its toll. Timothy was one of these that that grew up in a Christian home and, and very clearly gave his life to the Lord at a young age because he was already involved in ministry and had a good report among the believers in Lystra when Paul got there and he was engaged in ministry then while he was yet young. He had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, as I did, and I want to share just a little bit of my experience with you tonight, and especially those of you that are not yet converted, that fall into those, that window of opportunity of being 18 or less. As I said earlier, I didn't always appreciate that I was growing up in a Christian home, And while I grew up in the church, I never went to Sunday school. That wasn't because I didn't want to. It just wasn't offered. And most of the sermons that I listened to in my formative years, I couldn't understand. But that didn't prevent God from putting into my heart a desire to one day be a Christian just like I believe every one of you that are here tonight that are not yet converted also have one day wanting to be a Christian. It's, I knew it was something that, that I wanted eventually and that I would do. And God was, was able to, to instill that into my heart despite some of those may we say, handicaps that existed as I was growing up in those early years. And I, and I think of Timothy here, who we know, by all appearances, had a father who was a Greek and, and un, not a believer. There's no indication that he was. In fact, the way things are written, we, we have to assume that he was not a Christian. But that didn't limit God's ability to work in his life through his mother and grandmother, to bring him to the point of salvation and conversion. And God instilled that into my heart as well, that I would do that one day. But as most teenagers and in those early teen years, I didn't always want to go that way. And in small ways, the world started to pull me away from the protection of that Christian home and the fences 
that my parents had built around me to protect me from the world. It wasn't anything real big, so to speak, just a couple inches of hair and, and sneaking out. And my kids get kind of a kick when I talk about this, about sneaking out at night and off to a drive-in theater and, and sitting on some um, lumber because there was a lumber yard right next to it in the cool of the evening and kind of cold and straining to hear the speakers that were kind of off in the distance to watch the Ten Commandments. I'm breaking one of them while I was doing it. The police at the, at the bush party that I wanted to check out couldn't believe as he asked me to breathe into his face that I hadn't had any alcohol. There was nothing really serious going on, but it was starting to happen. And it was at a camp experience, my second camp experience, at the age of, of 16, I just turned 16, that that I felt the call of the Lord and knew very much that what I desired was something that I needed to do and do it now. And I made that choice and that decision. And, and my life dramatically changed that same day. That night I slept in a way that I hadn't slept for, for many, many months because there was a lot of turmoil and, and confusion going on in my life, in my mind, and in my heart. And it suddenly was different. And I was anxious to get back home and to share that experience with my parents. And, and I know that not all young people are in a hurry to do that. But that's a good thing, and eventually you need to do it. And the sooner you do it, the better you'll be for it. And then things went along, and, and there, were, there were a few restitutions and things that I needed to make, and, and I looked after those things, and, and things kept going, and I was praying for peace, and peace wasn't coming, and it wasn't happening in my life. And it took too many months of searching for peace. And finally, when... Specifically, I asked God to, to show me a sign and, 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 and give, it, give me that peace that I was longing for, knowing that, that there was nothing left that I needed to do. He gave me the sign, and, and, and I felt everything except not peace. But later that evening, in sharing that with my sister that was older and, and just talking about it, realized that the peace that I was looking for was there, and I just had to believe and accept. And the moment that I believed with all of my heart, it literally was like a load that was lifted off of my shoulders. I felt it. But more importantly, I knew it. And I knew in whom I had believed, and it was real. Interestingly enough, the scripture that we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that says, 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, was not fully understood by me till several years after I was baptized. I understood then, when I, when I really could accept that peace that God was giving to me and had so freely offered, that it was faith that I was lacking, that it was, that it was a simple believing in what Jesus had done and not a result of what I had done that was going to give me peace. But the truth of that scripture didn't hit home till quite some time later. And as we look at this scripture that is before us here, the Apostle Paul reminds Timothy, and he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And this is what it's all about. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why is it that some just can't grasp the simplicity of the gospel message? Why is it that some just can't believe? And I appreciate very much what we heard, I believe it was on Monday night's Inspiration Hour, where Brother Jeremy shared that, that he doesn't see conversion as, as a lot of steps that we need to take, but rather as a step that one needs to take. And I like that. Somehow, putting it into a lot of different steps can become confusing. And, and what is the order that those steps need to happen in? And don't misunderstand me. I'm not suggesting for a moment that the things that we talk about that comprise a genuine conversion, a born-again experience, are not important or are not necessary. And we that, that have the responsibility in the church are concerned about a, a, a gospel message that has been watered down to simply accepting the Lord, and that's all that it takes. But we and, and I am equally concerned about a gospel message that may somehow become becoming across wrong in such a way that, that we would have young people and sometimes even older people coming back to camp year after year, repenting year after year. Having people, young people and older people, committing their lives to the Lord, asking Jesus to come into their life, and having the faith to believe that he died for their sins, and yet never progressing to the point where they can totally surrender their life to Jesus Christ. to fully turn to God in repentance and put all of their faith and trust in him. And it doesn't happen from one year to the next. And sad, sad to say that as a result of that, some simply fall through the cracks and they fall into those percentages 
that we don't like to talk about. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not complicated. And what is absolutely necessary is that one, even as the scriptures teach, would be able to turn to God in repentance and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. One turns to God when they recognize that they are undone before him, that they are sinful, and that there's nothing that they can do that can take care of that sin except the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. And we need to believe that with all of our hearts. That is the one question you cannot get wrong on your testimony night. When you are asked, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he shed his blood for your sins, there's only one answer that is acceptable. We'll help you with most of the other questions if you don't get it quite right, but that one you absolutely have to get right because it is absolutely necessary that you personally believe that. And conversion is a personal experience. And it's not my job or anybody else's job to tell you that are not yet converted whether or not you are saved. That's between you and God. And when you are, you will know it. And it will be evident. It will show. But what that conversion really looks like is many times, or what that experience of conversion really looks like is quite often different. And even as we look through the scriptures, we see that there were many that converted and gave their lives to the Lord and did it in many different ways, so to speak. Yes, they were all doing the same thing, but they didn't all do it in exactly the same order or the same way. I think of the publican who, in contrast to the, the believe it was the Pharisee in the temple, the Bible says he stood afar off and he smote his breast and he wouldn't so much as look up and he simply said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And maybe that's what your experience needs to be, that you simply, in humility, cry out to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he will. Or maybe it looks more like, like Nicodemus, who was a little bit embarrassed to come to Jesus in the daytime. After all, he was, he was a, a Pharisee, I believe, and, and he, he, the Bible says he came to Jesus by night. Kind of, kind of like those here at camp that maybe walk out and then come back in when most of their friends are gone. Nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly fine. 
And like Nicodemus, perhaps, you really need to understand what this being born again is all about and have it explained. But somehow Nicodemus did grasp it, and, and, and evidently he was a follower of Jesus, even though he continued to do that somewhat secretly. But hopefully, eventually, he was willing to not be ashamed of that. And then there was the woman at the well. And some, for some, becoming a Christian is, is, is coming face to face with Jesus Christ and finding out that he knows everything about you. And there's nothing that you can hide from him. And because your life is like an open book before him, and he sees it all and knows it all, he wants you to give it all to him and let him take care of your life and put the pieces back together. Or like the woman that was caught in adultery. For some, conversion is like she experienced when she knew she was condemned and and. and ready to be stoned. But she came face to face with Jesus. And as she looked up to him, he said to her, where are your accusers? And there were none. And she heard the compassionate response of Jesus Christ that he will give to everyone that is not yet converted that truly desires to know him on this side of eternity. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Or maybe your conversion experience will be something more like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus who who wanted so desperately to see Jesus that he climbed up into a tree so that he would be able to see him when he came by. And when Jesus stopped and invited him into his home, he, he, he rushed to the opportunity. And we don't know everything that transpired in Zacchaeus's home, but we do know that when it was all done, Zacchaeus was a changed man. And through that experience and coming face to face with Jesus and talking to Jesus and having his life exposed to Jesus, he realized that his life wasn't real pretty. And there were a lot of fences that needed to be mended. There were things that needed to be changed. And all those things that he had that that weren't making him happy, now he had an opportunity to make it right. And he did. And Zacchaeus became a new man. And then there were those 3,000 that were baptized on the day of Pentecost. After the preaching of, of Peter, the Bible says that, that they proclaimed and said, Men and brethren, what do we need to do? And Peter's response was, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that that day 3,000 were baptized. 
And I don't believe for a moment that their conversion, the, the vast majority of them, that their conversion happened simply on that day. Probably many of them had heard Jesus. Many of them knew of his message and heard of the resurrection. Perhaps some of them were, were among those that, that, the 500 that saw that Jesus had, res, had resurrected. But they were baptized because they believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. We can't forget Paul, who at the time was Saul. And sad to say, there are so many that, that expect to make an experience like Saul did on the road to Damascus. Some of you that are not yet converted are, are just simply waiting for, for the Lord to hit you over the head, so to speak, or to strike you blind or to, to do something. It doesn't take a road to Damascus experience to give your life to Jesus Christ. But if that's what it takes, God can make it happen. And we could consider many more examples of those that converted in the scriptures. Why have I shared these with you? Just to illustrate that becoming becoming a child of God is not a cookie-cutter type of thing. It's not steps one to seven in that order, and it will happen. It is absolutely, as the Bible says, that we need to turn to God in repentance because we have recognized our sinfulness, our brokenness before him. And we want to serve him as long as we live. It is responding to the invitation that is so often given in different words that says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Ask, and you will receive. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's what he wants. It's what you want, too. I know you want it. Seek him while he may be found. In other words, do it. while it's easier. Do it 
before it gets harder. Do it before it's impossible. Because there are those that don't get second chances. But understand this. Salvation is not complicated. Salvation is a free gift. God doesn't give us peace. He doesn't hand us salvation on a platter because we have done anything. He gives it to us by his grace and grace alone. Wherefore, the scriptures say, by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. It's God's work, and you need to remember that. And even as Timothy experienced, you need to realize that the scriptures, the word of God, makes it plain and clear that there is only one way to be saved. There is only one way to get to heaven. There is only one door, and it's very narrow, and it's Jesus Christ and him alone. And when you believe that with all of your heart, without reservation, acknowledging your inability to do anything on your own that can merit salvation, he will save you. If you can believe that with all of your heart. Thinking back onto that experience that I made almost 35 years ago in Webster Springs, I realized that King four or five months probably could have happened, could have happened in that many weeks or less, easily. There weren't a lot of scars. There wasn't a lot of baggage. There wasn't a lot of things that, that I had done. Didn't make any difference in God's eyes. Just because I was a small sinner and, and hadn't done a lot, I deserved and would have gotten the same punishment had I been a lot worse. And it's no different today. Whether you've done a little or a lot makes no difference when it comes to salvation and eternity or judgment or that day when the books are going to be opened it doesn't make any difference if you've done nothing worse than sneak out to a drive-in to watch the Ten Commandments or if you've gone all the way. The end is the same. If we die like that, we don't go to heaven. We go to hell. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has provided salvation. While there's no difference for eternity, there is a difference if you choose 
to make wise choices and to seek God early in coming to Christ. And so, in Christ's stead, I beg you, do it now. It will never be easier. I can't leave the scripture here by also considering that this word has a word for for us that are parents, that are grandparents. From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Continue in the things that you have learned, knowing of whom you have learned them. Lois, Timothy's grandmother, Eunice, his mother. The Bible says that they had an unfeigned faith. That word unfeigned means they had a genuine, they had a real faith. It wasn't a Sunday faith. It wasn't a a faith that was masked somehow. It was genuine. It was real And it was something that that Timothy wanted and decided he was going to have at a young age because he wanted to have what they had. And for us that are parents and grandparents, the challenge is for us that we would live out our faith in such a way that our children would want the very same thing. That our faith would be real that our faith would be genuine, that our children would know that what mom and dad believe or what they say they believe, they really believe, and they really mean it, that when they say that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, Savior, that he really is their Lord, that he really is the most important one in their life, and not only that they can hear us say it, but that they can see us live it. like to share with you, as I wrap things up here, what the Barna Institute, in their research, concluded. They said, families, churches, church ministries must recognize that the primary window of opportunity for effectively reaching people with the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is during their preteen years. It is during these years that people develop their frames of reference for the remainder of life, especially theologically and morally. And listen to this. Consistently explaining and modeling truth principles for young people is the most critical factor in their spiritual development. Moms and dads, grandparents, 
Let me repeat this one more time. Consistently explaining and modeling truth principles for young people is the most critical factor in their spiritual development. Yes, they have to make up their own minds. Yes, they do have to decide for themselves is what mom and dad believe what I want to believe? Is what they're living for what I want to live for? Is where they're going where I want to go and is who they are what I want to be? It is their decision. It is their choice. And they will live and die with those consequences. But the onus is on you. It's on me to live out our faith in such a way that they will want nothing else. That they will grow up wanting to become a Christian. That as they go through their teen years, they will not simply be unconverted, but that they will be not yet converted. And hopefully before long will be converted because they have seen in us an example of what a believer is. And they have recognized in us that the scriptures that we have known and taught them from childhood are not only able to make them wise unto salvation through Christ Jesus, but those same scriptures as we have read together here tonight that have been given by God's inspiration are also able and given by God and are profitable, as it says here, for doctrine, in other words, for teaching, for reproof, to show us when our lives aren't quite in order, for correction, to get us back on track when we're not quite there, and for instructions and righteousness to keep us on the path that leads to eternity with God. Brothers and sisters, and especially as parents, and even as as young Christians, and and those that may be young parents or, or will be young parents, know this, that the way in which you model the Christian life for your children will have a tremendous impact upon how they decide about whether your faith will become theirs. It's not the only factor. And if you fail, and if you are negligent, God can work around that, even as he did in Timothy's life, because his father wasn't a Christian. And whatever circumstances some of you have here that are not yet converted, that, that are not conducive to becoming a Christian, God can work around that. And he will if you let him, if you ask him. And tonight, he is giving another chance, a second chance at life. to do it better for us as believers 
and for those that are not yet converted to give your life to him. I'd like to close and do it with a poem. As much as I thank God for the life that he has given me, as much as it, he chooses that it may be, and that's only in his hands, as life always is, it's always in God's hands. It isn't always that way, though. Sometimes when illness strikes, can be all over in a moment. And I'd like to close tonight by reading a poem for whom it happened that way. The poem actually was written by Brother Paul Weingartner. It's fitting for this message. It's fitting as a conclusion to the text that we have read, and it's fitting for the theme of camp that we have had together. I share it with you. In memory of him, but more importantly, that we would take to heart the words that he wrote seven or eight years ago. We each have just one life to live. Where goals and dreams we often sieve through reason, searching for the way to guide our actions day by day. Is life defined by towers tall or eloquence inspiring all? In fame earned on the battlefield or in investing at the highest yield? Do folks remember prices paid the greatness of foundations laid, the sizes of our herds and flocks, the acres of our warehouse stock. The Bible does not tell, the Bible does not let us view how Abram, Abram's earthly riches grew. He tells instead how he in faith did rescue Lot from certain death. The means of Noah's wealth unknown, but long and true his heart did groan for neighbors to whom he would preach, hoping that a few he'd reach. When Christ described the judgment plan, how he'll divide us man from man, he made the measure very clear. It's what we give to others here, a glass of water, food and clothes, investments that a wise man knows, visits and encouragement. Here is where our time's well spent, Friendship is the real gift when efforts do another lift to cause the grieving just one smile to bear their load another mile. To cause the lonely just to be a little less in misery when just a friendly, loving smile makes us know it's all worthwhile. We have so many chances here to be an avenue of cheer, so very many secret ways to traffic in what truly pays. So friendships is our business here. On this goal, let us all be clear. Go see what you can give away to bank against the judgment day. For on that final resting day, when that hearse rolls us away, the only true eternal pay is what in love we gave away. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works.
today. Amen.